You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. So as we get going this morning, a little confession from last week. As I was uh, ramping along, uh, rolling through the day last week in the sermon and talking about everything that was going on on Tuesday, I was really excited to uh, flesh out Judas's agenda, how he had his own agenda and was promoting his own way that he thought the kingdom was going to come about. And in doing that, I sort of rolled it out and made it look like uh, the Last Supper, the, the upper room uh, Passover meal and the betrayal of Jesus happened on that same day and they don't. So uh, it, I went home and kind of did one of those afterwards, you know, re-looking at things and I'm like, oh man, I totally said that the wrong way. So I just got to own up to it. It's not that any of those things didn't happen. It just didn't happen exactly the way in the time frame that I spelled it out. The Last Supper and his betrayal happened on Thursday of the week, which is actually going to be next Sunday's sermon. Okay? So I didn't want anybody to be confused. I never want anything I say to uh, misrepresent the word of God or confuse anybody. So um, it's always best to check the book, right? <laughs> check the text, right? So this morning, we're going to get rolling again, and we're going to be looking at uh, what would have been Wednesday of the Passion Week, and uh, we jokingly said this could be the shortest sermon of the series because there's nothing in the Gospels about what happened on Wednesday. There's no record, there's no revelation of what happened that day in the week leading up to Christ's resurrection. And so for, for that reason, it's a good opportunity to, uh, for us to sort of stop and pause and reflect on times when God is silent, times when we don't hear revelation from God, when we don't uh, hear word or direction from the Lord and to reflect on like what are some of those circumstances? What, what kinds of reasons might God be quiet and what could we learn from those things? And so we're going to do that this morning. Um, as we do that, one of the first things I want to do is I want to look at this quote. It's in your notes and it's up here too. It's going to help us just kind of get in the right frame of mind, like have the right, a right reference for understanding this idea of God's silences. It's a really cool quote. Let's take a look at what it says up here. It says, God's silences, like his words, are intended to be redemptive, but we must learn how to interpret them. In fact, the Lord's refusal to speak may well say more to us than a direct word from him and say it more clearly and emphatically. If we learn to understand God's reasons for remaining quiet, we'll be able to receive the silence as a part of his revelation to us. So as we get into this, we're going to take a look at some different reasons why God may remain quiet. We're going to kind of camp out on four of them. We're not saying these are uh, the exhaustive list of every reason why God would remain quiet. We just think they're kind of four categories that are significant in Scripture, and they're also significant for us even yet today. And I think you'll resonate with one or more of them as we go through it. The first one is the silence of judgment. Now, if you were ever a kid, uh, you know, a little kid or a teenager and you blew it and you did something wrong, you might have experienced the silence of judgment. In my house, if I got in trouble, my mom didn't know the silence of judgment because she had a lot of words. And so there was no silence of silence of silence. There was like, she was good at talking. She was definitely the lecturer type, right? Silence of judgment was not in her repertoire. 
My wife's dad, on the other hand, was this, uh, and is to this day, he's just this really tough, sun-grizzled, like if you picture the old Marlboro Man ads, like that, that's her dad, like he's that kind of guy. Had, had kind of a Tom Selleck, tough guy vibe back in his day. Worked in the oil field around tough conditions and tough people, and when she would get in trouble and mess up, she would come in and take a look at him and all she had to do was walk in the house and he would just give her the look. There was no lecture going on. He didn't have to say a word. He would just give her the look and the longer he was quiet, the more trouble she knew she was in, right? Maybe some of you can relate. Sometimes that can be what the silence of God can be like. Sometimes it's a silence of judgment. There was a time like this in scripture when we learned about Eli, who was a priest, and he had two sons who also served at the temple as priests, and his sons were not good guys. They were there, uh, the purpose of them being at the, at the temple was to represent God, to hear from God, and to share their uh, revelations from God to the people. Like they were to be God's voice to the people. But they were sinful guys, and they didn't represent God well, and it had some negative consequences, not only for them, but for God's people. Let's take a look at what it says first here. In 1 Samuel, it says, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And not only the offering of the Lord, but these guys were actually even sleeping with the ladies that served at the tent of meeting. They were not good men. And as a result... God was quiet. And not only were they not hearing from the Lord, but because they were God's representative to speak for God's people, God's people weren't hearing from the Lord. Here's how it, it, it says this in 1 Samuel. He says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Like sometimes God's silence is a silence of judgment. And because of that, because of God's refusal to speak to them, it also caused an absence of God's word to his people. And, and over time, there was this deep desire for God's people to hear from God. And when finally God raised up a righteous man to represent him, who was Samuel the prophet, God's God's people flocked to him. They were eager to hear the word of God because he had been quiet for so long. So that's one of the ways we see God being silent. Sometimes it could be a silence of judgment. One of the next ways is a silence of mercy. Sometimes God is quiet because he's holding back. He doesn't speak because what he could say could condemn, could reveal things that we're not ready for, could, could tell us things that we're not ready to wrap our brain around or understand, could give us answers to prayer that are not his plans for us. One of the most unique portrayals of this silence of mercy is when Jesus is crucified how he remained silent, even though he could have condemned everybody with his words. He could have spoke truth and called it all out as it was, 
but he didn't. And Isaiah the prophet prophesied well ahead of time and said this about that, that circumstance. He said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't say anything. This prophecy was fulfilled when Jesus was, was taken by the mob to Herod and Pilate and he just kept quiet. And then later taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, who is putting him on trial and he's bringing false accusers before him that are making these lies and accusations up about Jesus. And they're basically trying to bait him. They're trying to goad him on into like defending himself. And this is how Jesus responded. Matthew 26, 63 says, but Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you're the Christ, the son of God. Like in some cases... God's acting out of just straight mercy because his answer would condemn. Sometimes God's acting out of mercy because if he answered our prayers, for example, it, it might lead us down a path that isn't the path that he's got in mind for us in the future. It might change the, the course of our life in a way that, that takes us further away from him than closer to him. And so sometimes God's silence is really an act of mercy from him on our behalf. Now, I experienced this a lot. Um, as I was young, I got started working um, tried a lot of different things. I did construction and kind of got in the construction-related field and did sales, construction-related materials, that kind of stuff. Tried different, different jobs, different things, and it seemed like everything I tried, it, there'd be things that I'd be good at, there'd be things that I was like not so good at but could do, but no matter what, there was this discontentment. Like I was just really dissatisfied with what I was doing. Even if it was something that I was successful at or made a lot of money, it was like, it just didn't feel like this was not the thing. Like, really, God, is this it? And I would, I would pray and I would ask God for direction. And my wife will tell you that in the early years of our marriage, I drove her a little bit insane because it was like trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, and I just asked God for direction all the time. And there was so often, I'm like, I, I just don't know. Like, Lord, what is it? This just does not seem like this is it. And as we grew in our marriage um, and got more involved in church, we started getting involved and went to a care group. And our care group was awesome. We met some of just amazing, awesome friends in our care group. And one of the couples that we became really good friends with was our host home couple that hosted our group. And this guy that hosted us owned a small business and his small business had come upon a time where it was really struggling because of some circumstances and the thing that he really uniquely needed was help with sales. I was really good at sales and had made a lot of money doing it and, in, and, and liked the idea of sales, but I was just was always in this restless, like, am I in the right job? Is this the right company? Is this the right thing? And along comes this guy who all of a sudden is telling me about how his company's on the verge of, of maybe going out of business and he's really struggling and there's been some hard things that have happened. And I just immediately feel convicted that I'm supposed to go to work for this guy. And so we start having conversations about what that might look like and, and conversations with my wife about what that might look like. And he and I sit down and have the money conversation about like, okay, well, I, 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 let's do it. I, I know, I, I don't know if we can afford it, but I, I just feel convicted like this is something God wants me to do. 
So we sit down, we have the money conversation, and he's a small company, and, and it ended up being uh, an awesome 50% pay cut right across the board, and no company car, no phone, no expense account, none of the other perks, no insurance, no benefits, and it was like, God, this sounds like that dream opportunity I've been praying about. And I'm like, here's the caveat. The company was about... Uh, was built around selling and servicing handheld computers and printers and software. Here's my technology deal. Like, I'm terrible at technology. Not only terrible, I'm like zero interest in it. Always have. Like, that's, I'm just like, Lord, really? Like, this? And I'm praying and praying and praying. I'm like, there's no other direction, but I know, I just have this confidence that this is where I'm supposed to be. And so the guy asked me, he says, I know this isn't your thing. We were good friends, so we talked candidly about this stuff. And he says, I know this isn't your thing, but I need your help. Like, and can you give me a year? And I said, yeah, I'll give you a year and we'll reevaluate and see. And so I give him a year and the whole time I work for him, I love working with the guy. He's a, a dear friend of mine. He's an awesome guy. I, I enjoyed the networking and the sales and I enjoyed helping get the company rolling and back up on its feet, but I hated the products. I was like, I was, I'm terrible at this. I don't know anything about this stuff. And I start praying like, okay, God, like, did I make a wrong move? Is this the right thing? Is this, am I stuck in a five-year deal here? Is this a 10-year deal? Am I, did I totally miss the mark on this? And I just am praying and praying and praying. And somewhere along towards the end of that year, God started stirring in my heart this desire for something that was new that I had never even thought of before, had never even dreamed about before. And I start having... Um, thoughts and dreams and stuff comes up in my prayer life and in devotions and with conversations with friends about going into ministry as a job. And I'm like, I, I don't think so, Lord. You know, and so he and I have this great argument about how that's not the right choice for me. And we go back and forth and, and over time, it becomes more and more clear that this is something that God's calling me to. And I go and I meet with Aaron and Jim and, and, uh, we start having conversations about what that might look like and what opportunities there are, and one thing leads to another. Um, they end up, lots of story in between, but they end up offering me a job to come to work at Real Life up in Post Falls. And I'm really excited, terrified, nervous, all these feelings at the same time, and sort of like sick to my stomach to go talk to my friend that I'm gonna take a different job. And so I go and sit down with him, and, and he was super understanding. He was like, I, I get it. I, I knew this was not a long-term thing, and, and we had done a lot for the company in the time I was there. And he goes, when do they want you to start? And we sat down and looked at the calendar, and it was a year. It was one day after my one-year commitment with him was up. And I hadn't even hit my radar until he and I sat down and had that. And it was just one of those, like, just clear as a bell from God, like, Remember all that time I wasn't answering you? Remember all that time you were pleading with me for all those other things? It was God's mercy in his silence not giving me what I wanted. I thank God so much with 2020 hindsight, right? It's easy to be here now and look back. Then it was tough. But in, in hindsight, it's easy to look back and go, man, I am so glad God didn't answer so many of my stupid prayers and my crazy harebrained ideas and things that I thought I had to have or had to do.
But in God's mercy, he kept quiet and held out until I was ready. And through that year, he helped us as a family financially realign ourselves and be prepared to do ministry as a job. He helped me personally learn how to work for someone and at a job that was all about loving the person and not about anything to do with the product. And through God's mercy, I had an opportunity to be prepared to go into ministry in a way that probably I never would have otherwise. There's other ways, too, that God's silent. Sometimes it's the silence of waiting. Probably a lot of us are familiar with this one. Um, if we've ever been around somebody or had a friend that talks a lot, has a lot of words to get out, we maybe have practiced the silence of waiting. Where we start to say something and we realize they're not done yet and then they just talk and they talk and they talk and they keep talking and we just sort of wait quietly for them to exhaust every last word in their entire repertoire. <laughs> right? And we're like, are you done yet? Are you done? Right? And we can identify with that and we can kind of laugh and get a chuckle out of it. But then we go, how often does God practice that silence with us? How often does God just sit back quietly? Are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you, are you actually ready to listen now? Or, oh, nope, you got another thought. We'll just wait. Instead, he waits for us to think like the psalmist would say in 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Like we carry on and on about our plans and our dreams and our needs and our desires and our wants and our stories and all of this stuff. And God's like, what if you were just still and remembered that I'm God? We need to remember the words from Isaiah 30, 15. He says this, For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. Sometimes we need to realize that maybe God is silently waiting for us to zip it long enough to hear from him. There's another one of God's silences that comes up and sometimes it can be a silence of testing. Sometimes it can be a silence of testing. This is one where we see a great example in scripture with the silence of testing about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a great king and he led Jerusalem to come back to worship the one true God. And then in time, Assyria came to attack Jerusalem. And as they were coming, Hezekiah led the city to rebuild the walls and to rebuild the ramparts and to make preparations for war. And the most important thing he did is he went to Isaiah and he prayed for God's help and God's protection for his people. And God answered his prayer and actually wiped out the Assyrians and camped outside the city. And the king of Assyria went away embarrassed and humiliated at the loss. And with that came all sorts of people from all over that came to Jerusalem to, to give offerings to God and bring these expensive gifts to Hezekiah. 
And it was an opportunity in time where he could have become very prideful and full of himself and, and, and pumped up. And in time, Babylon sent emissaries to Jerusalem to find out what was going on in Jerusalem. What was, how was Hezekiah so rich, so wealthy, so successful? They wanted to know what was happening. And there was something unique that happened at this time. They came to see what was going on and what it was all about. And this was a time where we see God step away and be silent as a way of testing Hezekiah. To see like, under these circumstances, I'm just going to step back and watch. Let's look at what it says. In 2 Chronicles, he says, And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been uh, sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him to know all that was in his heart. It was sort of like, let me just see how you really answer this without my help. Without me giving Isaiah anything for you to know or learn or say, like, let's just let you use your own words. And then I'll find out who you really attribute all this success to. For those of us that are parents, we've probably done this and maybe not even realized that we've practiced the silence of testing. We've seen maybe when your kids were little and a couple of them or them and their friend are arguing around the corner of the house and you can hear this thing and it's about to break into a, sort of a spat or a fight and you start to go break it up and then you catch yourself and you're like, you're going to stand out of, out of sight and you're just going to listen because you're wondering how your kid's going to handle it. You're like, ooh, this is a good opportunity to me, for me to see like how they really are right? That's, the, that's practicing the silence of testing. And sometimes God will practice that silence with us. With our kids growing up, we always talked about integrity. It's like who you are when nobody's looking. That's sort of an integrity test for God to step back like he did with Hezekiah and to remain silent and to go, who are you when, I'm, when nobody's looking? Who are you when I'm not helping you? And here's the thing, no matter what kind of silence we experience from God, no matter why he's quiet in our lives, what ultimately matters is how we respond to it. How do we react? How do we respond? There's a story in John where Jesus is, um, starts off early, early in chapter six where Jesus is feeding people with five breads and two fish. And he does this great miracle with, with food, bread and fish. And then he travels across the lake and he goes to the other side and there's this great crowd there waiting for him. And in the crowd, in no time at all, they start getting into these conversations about food and bread and the bread of life. And they're, they're, they're trying to illustrate to him, they're trying to call out to him about how, you remember, you know, with Moses, like in, back in his time, you know, God fed everybody with manna from heaven and, and they're likening it to this, these, these examples that he's saying, he's referencing himself as the bread of life and they're trying to make sense of what he's saying. And they're trying to push back and test what he's saying. And Jesus can see that they're struggling with it. He can see that it's not really sinking in. And so Jesus does this real Jesus-y thing. Sometimes he just amps up the confusion. He's like, you think that was a hard teaching? Wait till you hear this. This is one of those times. 
Let's look at how he kind of handled that crowd. It says, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him, and the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. Really easy stuff to follow here, right? This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense to this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He's like, you think this is a hard teaching? What if I just left right now? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Because Jesus knew from the beginning who, uh, who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Ultimately, it's about how we respond to God. Whether it's a silence of testing and we, we don't know what God's testing us in, whether it's God not answering our prayers because he's patient and, and being merciful and giving us grace, not giving us what we deserve, not giving us what we long for and think we need, whether it's God being silent because it's a, it's a judgment or whether there's times where it's just really difficult to understand what is going on with God. Like, what is God teaching? This is a hard teaching. Sometimes God is hard to follow. And the truth is, like, what really matters is how do we respond in those circumstances? Are we going to be like those disciples that, that heard a hard teaching and were just like, man, I just... You were, I know you meant to explain that, but the more you explained it, the tougher it got. I think I'm out. And they go back to trying to figure out life on their own. Are we going to be like the kind of people that are so close with Christ and we know Jesus so well that even when it's hard to understand and there's those times where we just don't get what God is up to, that we can have the confidence and the faith like Peter had to say, hey, I'm in no matter what. I'm in no matter what. Where else would I go? I've come to know you so well that I know that you are the one true way. I know that there are no other ways. I know that you are my God. 
And whether I ever totally understand this part of you or not, I'm not sure, but irregardless, I'm still in. Right? I know I long for all of us that we have that kind of faith, that Peter kind of faith that's, that's bold and is like, I'm in no matter what, even when it's hard, even when I don't get it, even when I don't hear from you or I don't understand, I'm in. We're going to take communion together here as we wrap up the service. And so if the ushers want to pass those buckets out, please drop your cards in when those go by. And then they're going to pass the communion trays. And remember, at, at Real Life, we have uh, what we call an open table. And that means that if anybody wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ with us, we would invite you to take communion with us. And as those things are passed, if you would please hold on to the cup and the bread, and then we'll take communion together uh, as we wrap up, okay? In your notes and up on the screen, we're going to go through these implications. And again, we do these things at the end of the service. They're just to help kind of wrap things up, to remind you, like, we hope maybe something was really resonating with you through the message. Maybe one of those particular types of silences really stuck out to you. Maybe God was revealing something to you that you need to camp out on and, and reflect on. But maybe one of these things that kind of summarize things at the end here will be the thing you need to chew on for the week. Okay, let's look at those. First one, God's agenda to redeem the world doesn't change because we see him as silent. Just because we don't hear from the Lord doesn't mean his plans have changed. Next one. How we respond to God's silences reveals what we really believe about God. Do we believe God has given us everything we need in the moment, or do we believe God is holding out on us? I mean, it's the difference between the disciples that walked away and Peter saying, where else would we go? Like, we either trust that God has us in the palm of his hand and has given us everything we need in that situation and will walk with, it, with us through it or we realize that, hey, I really actually think God's holding out on me. Maybe that's what my deal is. Maybe that's the conversation you need to have this week. Next one. We often make matters worse by trying to make sense of the situation. We must be willing to sit in the mess with people rather than trying to solve it. A lot of times this happens in your care groups or with your friends and especially with family. And if you hear of someone else that's going through a hard time, they're, they're not understanding what God is up to in their life or they feel like God's been silent and they're not sure what God's plan is and they're, they're struggling through something. And we can come in and try to like fix it and solve it. We can try to offer up advice like Job's friends. Let's not be like Job's friends, right? Let's just sit in the silence with them and put an arm around them and pray with them and ask God to give them clarity and direction and ask for them to have patience to listen and hear from the Lord. Last one. When we're praying for God to give us something and it remains silent, that may very well be God asking us to let that desire die. 
as we're going through these things in us that we want to let go of and let die this Lent season, maybe this is a conversation you need to have with the Lord this week. Like maybe the thing you keep praying about, the career you want, the job you want, the husband, the wife, the thing for your kid, the whatever that is just always on your heart and you keep striving and praying and, and you just won't, don't want to let it go, maybe, maybe that's the thing that, that God's just saying, you need to let that one go. Maybe that's a desire in us that we need to put to death this season. I don't know. If you're not sure and you haven't been hearing from the Lord and you're wondering what God's up to, these are things you need to reflect on and think about. Talk with God about. Talk with godly people about. Pray together earnestly. And ask God for help and insight and wisdom and, and let people in your life to walk through those things with you. We get the opportunity to pray to God and to talk with him and to know that we have the Holy Spirit, the comforter and the helper to he be here with us because of what Christ did on the cross. We get to remember and celebrate each and every week that we have a savior that loves us, that we have a God that made a way for us to be redeemed and restored because of what Christ did for us. And that's why we remember each week when we get together that on the night Jesus was betrayed, when he was in that upper room, he broke the bread and he, he took it and he gave thanks for it and he told everybody there and us today, as often as we get together, let's eat this in remembrance of him. In the same way, he took the cup and he told them that this is the cup of the new covenant and it represented his blood shed for us as often as we drink it. Let's remember him. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for this season where we get to just really reflect and remember what that last week was like. God, help us to continue to see things in us that need to go away to make room for more of you, Lord. Let, let us become more and more like you. God, we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.